0: Good morning church it's good to see everybody here how many of you guys remember the game dodgeball it's outlawed in, in most schools right now they they've made if you want to play it you got to play it a different way where you don't get hit with a ball but when i grew up we played where you got hit with the ball hard you know by the older kids you know and um, If you don't know how the game of dodgeball is played, I've been playing it with a lot of you guys this morning. How many of you guys have been hit by me today? Some of you guys throw the ball back hard, too. Some of our senior saints, you still got that arm in you, you know? But um, the game dodgeball is simple, self-explanatory. Balls are thrown at you, and you dodge them. Because if you get hit with the ball, you're out. So the goal is to dodge the ball. In life... We get a lot of things thrown at us, don't we? A lot of things, a lot worse than a ball thrown at us, right? We get adversity thrown at us, trials thrown at us, hardships thrown at us, problems thrown at us. And it's often easy to treat life like a game of dodgeball, try to dodge the hardships, dodge the trials. Oh, if this, when we see a hardship down the road, It's easy to think about how how can we do things in a way to avoid that hardship? Or how can we do things as a church to avoid this hardship? Or how can we do things in our family to avoid this hardship? And and why do we do that? Because we, we, we have brains. Hardship hurts. Suffering hurts. It's not easy. And I'm not saying you should try to make your life more hard, okay? I'm not saying you should try to get more hardships in your life because that makes you a better Christian. What I'm saying this morning is, and I really don't want this point missed because the whole sermon is about this is, is it a biblical principle to try to live your life in a way where you avoid hardships? Is that the goal of life? To avoid the hardships and adversities that come with being a Christian? Before we answer that question, I want us to go to the Bible. Let's see what the Bible says. If you can turn with me to Acts chapter 14, verses 21 through 22. I'm going to read something. I'm starting verse 21. And remember, the question is, should we live life like a game of dodgeball? Because we know hardships will be thrown at us, amen? Amen. But is the goal of life to dodge every hardship and trial being thrown at you like the goal of dodgeball is to dodge every ball being thrown at you. That's the question, okay? Let's read the Bible for a second. Acts 14, 21 says, they preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. They returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. Now watch verse 22, guys. It's right here on the screen if you don't have your Bible. Watch this. Strengthening the disciples... And encouraging them to remain true to the faith, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. They, by the way, in verse 21, is Paul and Barnabas. And Paul and Barnabas, in verse 22, are strengthening the disciples. These are the people who are already saved. How many disciples have we got in the house today? This is a message for the disciples of Jesus. To strengthen the disciples of Jesus and to encourage them to remain true to the what, church? The faith, amen? This is his message. We must, must means you have to. We must go through many hardships, not one hardship, but many hardships to do what? To enter the kingdom of God. And he's saying that not to discourage them, but to encourage them. He's saying that not to make them feel weak, but to make them feel strong. That you're not crazy because of your faith, hardships are happening. You're not isolated from God because of your faith, hardships are happening. He said, we must go through these things to enter the kingdom of God. To enter it, you must go through. It's not not the avoiding of hardships. it's It's through the hardships. You see that? You guys see that this morning? It's not avoiding that stuff that's hard in life. It's going through that stuff that's hard in life because of your faith that you enter the kingdom of God, and he says you must do it. So as Christians, we cannot treat hardships like it's a game of dodgeball. In the name of Jesus, we must go through them to enter the kingdom of God. You guys see that this morning? Let's go a little bit deeper. James talks about it. Very popular, familiar verse we all have memorized. Consider your pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be, be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So James takes it a step further than Paul and Barnabas. He doesn't just say, we must go through difficult stuff to get to heaven. He says, consider your pure joy when these trials come up in your life. Why? Because through them, we become mature and complete, Amen. And this is the philosophy, this is the theology, this is what what the Bible says that is so different than what American culture says. I was talking to Greg Rippey while we were in the hospital and Greg told me, he said, Sheldon, you know, you teach your child what to fear. So you teach a child what to fear. He says, Sheldon, I know you're afraid of water. Don't teach that to your child. I, I want you to think about it for a moment. Say you have a child with you and a spider comes into the room, and you jump up, and you get scared, and you jump on top of a table, and and you're so afraid of a spider, you just taught your child to be afraid of spiders. But if you see that same spider come into that room, and you don't get scared, you're teaching your children how to deal with a spider in the room without being afraid. Does that make sense? You know how you see bees fly around when you're outside, and how some people start running around, and you know, going crazy because they're afraid to get stung by the bee. If your child sees that, you just taught your child to be afraid of bees. But if if you don't do that, you stay calm, you teach your child how to deal with bees without being afraid. If you have your child and you're walking down the street and you see a person with a different color of skin than you, and you grab your purse, you go across the street and you're scared, you just taught your child to be afraid of people that look different than them. But if you walk down that same street and you see somebody with a different color skin than you, and you don't get afraid, you treat them like a regular human being, you just taught your child not to fear people because of the color of their skin, amen? Now I know that's real deep, but I'm about to go even deeper. If you're a believing Christian, and you have a child with you, and every time hardships and trials come up, you get afraid, you start panicking, you start freaking out, you start having anxiety attacks, you start getting scared, you can't even focus on God. You just taught your child to be afraid of trials and hardships that are inevitable in life. But if you have that child, that same child with you, and when hardships and trials come up in life, if if you don't get afraid, if you don't start panicking, if that doesn't become all you talk about for the next week of your life, you're teaching your child how to deal with hardships and trials in a positive way. Take it a step deeper. I'm not talking about a physical child that's three years old physically. I'm talking about somebody, a spiritual child, who may have only been baptized for five months. That's a child, amen? That could be a 40-year-old, a 50-year-old. When they look at us as Christians who've been baptized for 30 years, when they see us have trials in our life and adversity in our life, we are teaching them as Christians one of two things. Either to be afraid of trial and adversity. That's what Satan wants us to teach them, right? Fear it. Fear it, fear it, fear it. These young Christians who only been baptized, saved for three months, they come around and they watch the older Christians get scared as soon as adversity enters their marriage, adversity enters their single life, adversity enters their church. We get scared. We teach them to fear adversity and trial. But you know what the Bible tells us to teach them? Well, Paul and Barnabas are teaching us. That it's through these hardships we enter the kingdom of God so we don't fear them. We teach them, you know what, we count it all joy when we face trials. Why? Because the Bible says, not me, the Bible says, it's through these trials we become mature, complete, not lacking anything. So you know what we do? We teach the young Christian to consider your pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now for so long, Satan has taught and media has taught us to fear trials and hardships. But for even longer, the Bible has been trying to teach us not to fear hardships and trials, but to consider your pure joy when we have these things. Because through these things, one, we enter the kingdom of God, and two, we become more mature and complete. So what we have to do, church, is change our mindset and connect it with the Bible's philosophy on how to perceive hardships and trials. You with me? What are some things we can do to begin to do that? You know, when a a person knows what you fear, you become the easiest person to control. Did you know that? If I know you fear snakes, and I don't want you in this auditorium, you know what I'll do? I'll put snakes in this auditorium because you'll be too afraid to come into this auditorium and you won't hear the message of God today. I can control you if I know what you fear. I can keep you out of this auditorium because I just place what you fear in this auditorium. Satan wants to teach you what to fear, and he wants to know what you fear, so that he can place what you fear in the way of you doing God's will. And he's good at it, church. And when Satan knows you fear hardships and trials, you better believe he's going to put hardships and trials in your path when you start doing God's will, amen? So it is inevitable, church, it is inevitable that we stop fearing hardships and trials if we want to accomplish God's will, get to heaven, and grow and mature, like James 1, verses 2-4 through says. We have to embrace it. Thank you. We have to embrace it. I want to I read a couple things to you that I wrote down, and I wrote them down because I really don't want to, to mess this up. Uh, I want to show a picture, actually, first that will help. You guys ever seen this, this quote? It says, I'd rather go through the storm with Jesus than sail through life without him. Anybody ever seen this one before? And it's saying, man, yeah, I'd rather be on this boat in the middle of the ocean where the ocean's going crazy, and there's a horrible storm, but I know Jesus is on the boat. I'd rather be on that boat. And and the, the beautiful thing about this picture is, Jesus is on that boat, but you can't see him. And that's how our life is in 2020, right? When we go through storms, we can't see Jesus today, but by faith we know he's there, amen? So even though you don't see Jesus, you know Jesus is on that boat, and he's saying, I'd rather go through the storm with Jesus than sail through life without him. Everybody says amen to that, but who, not say everybody said, okay, amen, but everybody says amen to that, but who really believes that? Who really in their heart would do that? Show, Show the next picture for me, Ronan. You could be on this boat, okay? This could be the boat you're on, and you're telling me instead of being on a boat that's smooth sailing like that, look at, look how calm that water is. Look how beautiful that sunset is. You could be on that boat, right now in life that could be your life for until it's over or now go to the next slide you'll be on the boat with the storm on it because by faith you can't even see Jesus but you know Jesus is on that boat with you now that's the real question And and the crazy thing is church today all of us are on one of these two boats we're either going through life with Jesus or through life without Jesus amen but if you're going to go through life with Jesus, Satan's going to create some storms in your life, some adversity in your life. Amen. And if you fear the adversities that come with being a Christian, you will get off of the boat that Jesus is on to get on the boat that Jesus is not on because there's no adversity. And this is the dilemma we go through every day when we wake up in the morning, don't we? It's not easy. It's not easy. If we're really being real this morning, this is not an easy dilemma that we're in. Right. I mean, you gotta... You, some days I've gotten off of the, the boat that Jesus was on because the storm got the best of me. And I'm not proud of that. Anybody ever... You don't have to raise your hand. Anybody ever not thought about doing it but did it, you know? Peter did. Denied Jesus three times, right? That was too much, right? Um... And what I want us to do is take a step back in humility today. And I want us to begin to pray that we're one of the people who would rather be on the boat with Jesus, even though there's a storm. I want you to pray that you become one of those people. I don't want us to pretend we're those people. And I'm not saying you're not those people. But some storms in life I've gone through have been so difficult, scary, and hard. You know what I'm saying? Have you ever gone through storms that are just like terrible? Yeah, on those days, church, we have to pray for God to keep us on the boat with Jesus. Because in our own strength, we can have those Peter moments, okay? Those Peter moments where we deny Jesus. Happen to, those David moments when Bathsheba looks so tempting, you know what I mean? Okay, it's happened to the greatest of them, okay? Now, the reason I'm, I'm, I'm asking you to pray this prayer that you'll be one of the people on the boat with Jesus is one, God deserves it. God. Two, God gave his only son to die for us, which means he went on that boat first of suffering before we ever did, amen? But three, the boat with Jesus on it ends up in heaven. The boat that doesn't have Jesus on it ends up in hell. And I know we don't like saying that word in 2020, but the Bible says that word, so I gotta say that word, amen? And as peaceful as that boat is that has no storm, it is headed to hell. And as difficult as that boat is that's in the storm, it is headed to heaven. Now, if you're on the boat that has Jesus on it with you, he will guarantee and make sure you get to heaven. He will do it. But our job is to stay on the boat with him. Amen. And and that's the battle that Satan is trying to fight us with. It's not really what boat you're on. It's who's on the boat with you. Amen. And what Satan's whole plot is in life is to just get you off of the boat with Jesus this morning. That's his whole plan. Because if he can get Jesus out of the equation, he can get you. And we have church, no matter what we're going through, no matter who you are today, we got to figure out a way to stay on the boat with Jesus, amen? Even when the storm is so terrifyingly difficult, we got to stay on the boat with Jesus. Because your destination is more important than your journey. And I know it's very popular to read those posters that say it's not the destination that matters, it's the journey that matters. But when it comes to your soul, that's wrong. And I'm trying to save your soul this morning. When it comes to your soul, it's all about the destination. Jesus says, what does it gain a man to profit the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? He's saying, yeah, that may be a great journey where you gain the whole world, but if you lose your soul at the end, if your destination is not heaven, what does you profit? Nothing, amen? Luke 16, 9, you can read the story of the par- not. it's not even parable, it's a true story of the rich man and Lazarus had two totally different journeys. One man ended up in heaven, another man ended up in Hades. And Jesus' whole point of that was, even though he suffered, he got to heaven, it was worth it. Here's what I'm saying. Your journey to heaven may be full of hardships and trials, but once you get to heaven, you will say it was worth it all. In the same way, your journey to hell may be filled with prosperity and good times on this earth, but when you get to hell, you will say it wasn't worth it. And I know we don't like verbiage like that, but I'm trying to to save souls this morning, amen? I'm trying to encourage souls this morning. So I'm going to say it again. It doesn't matter how you get to heaven. When you get there, you'll say the journey was worth it. And it doesn't matter how you get to hell. When you get there, you'll say the journey wasn't worth it. So pick your boat carefully because your destination is more important than your journey. Now, you may be saying this morning, I've been on the boat with Jesus, but I don't feel his presence or comfort. What do I do? This, this is where preachers mess up. We talk about how to get on the boat with Jesus, but a lot of people in the room today are on the boat with Jesus. You're just trying to figure out how to stay on the boat with Jesus when everything goes crazy right last week I showed four scriptures this week I only want to show one this is something that everybody can do when they're going through a storm in life to stay on the boat with Jesus and if you do this Jesus will bless your life today here it is 1st Thessalonians 5 16 through 18 when things go bad and the storm gets really, really, really hard and debilitatingly tough, you have to rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, preacher, how is that going to help me stay on a boat when there's a storm going on? That's what I want to talk about. I was talking to somebody this week. I'm sorry, last week, today's Sunday. And they were going through a very difficult, difficult thing. And they said nothing good in their life was going on. I said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to stop because I don't believe that. I want you to tell me one good thing that's going on in your life that you're thankful for. And they said they couldn't do it. I said, yes, you can. I'm going to stay on this phone with you until you do it. And in about 15 seconds, they thought of one thing. Then they thought of another thing. Then they thought of another thing. And then they went on a roll and gave me about seven other things. I said, see, that's it right there. Your mind goes on rolls. Once you start thinking about your blessings and positive things, your mind begins to multiply those thoughts, and more and more come. But when your mind goes negative and your mind starts thinking about negative things, your mind begins to multiply those negative things, and you go on that roll of depression and discouragement and anger. So what we have to do is fight the war in our mind. And what 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, 18 is showing us is when we are rejoicing always, when we're giving thanks in all circumstances, when we're praying continually, we are, we are preventing ourselves from going to the negative, we start beginning to go to the positive. Because when you start thinking about the blessings God's given you, it's not going to take long for you to think about more blessings and more blessings and more blessings. And then you start realizing, you know what? It hurts, but it's not the end of the world. I can still breathe. I still got good things going on in my life. I don't have to end my life. I don't have to become an atheist. I don't have to go into an extra long time of discouragement. I don't have to be bitter because I do have blessings going on in my life. God, even though I have stress going on in my life, I still have blessings going on in my life. You can't show me one time in the Bible where somebody who was going through bad things was not also having blessings. But the, the key was, what did their mind focus on all day? I'm not saying don't deal with your problems. I'm a realist. I deal with my problems. But one way you have to deal with your problems is not to forget your blessings. I'm going to say it again. You can't effectively deal with your problems. if all you're doing is concentrating on your problems. You can't feed yourself problem, 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 negative, 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 and make it in this world. You're going to go crazy. You're going to lose your witness. You're going to be one of those angry people at work every day. You're going to be upset with your spouse and your kids every day. You're going to be upset with your single life every day. You've got to rejoice always. You have to take time and say, you know what? The Bible says do it continually because it's God's will for me in Christ Jesus. So I'm going to take 15 minutes right now. I'm going to rejoice even though it's hard. I'm going to give thanks in all circumstances even though it's hard. I'm going to pray about that. Because we have prayer requests. We also have praise reports, right? And we have to take a moment and do this. Now, when we begin to do things like this, we, we often leave out a step. We may count our blessings but we don't enjoy our blessings. We may, you know what? You can count your money, but if you never spend it, what are you doing with it? Spending on good things, bad things, helping people? You know, it's like invest your money, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? And when you invest your money, what does it do? It multiplies, right? Sometimes in church, we stop at counting the blessings, but we never enjoy the blessings. And God gave us blessings to enjoy. And I can prove it to you. First Timothy six seventeen talks about, it says, put, put their hope in God. Watch this. 1 Timothy 6, 17, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. The Bible said that. I didn't say that. Something that a lot of people in the Church of Christ do not know how to do is enjoy their blessings. Why are we counting them if we're not going to enjoy them? So I told this person, okay, you just gave me these positive things going on in your life. Now I want you to take one of those things and I want you to enjoy them today. I want you to, to enjoy them today. Why do you think David said, God, return to me the joy of my salvation I want to enjoy this even though I messed up and I really tore my life up I'm still saved returning me to joy of my let me enjoy the fact that I have a God that saved me amen anybody got that joy today anybody got that salvation today take time to enjoy your salvation enjoy the fact that Jesus loves you enjoy the fact that your creator died for you because he loved you that much watch what that does for your self-value in life okay it, it, enjoy the fact that you, that, that you have a wife. If you don't have a wife, enjoy the fact that you have a kid. If you don't have a kid, enjoy the fact that you have a house. If you don't have a house, enjoy the fact that you have health. If you don't have health, enjoy the fact that you have a, friends. Enjoy it. Because when we're always in a place of negativity, that's when Satan gets that foothold on us, okay? Don't just count your blessings. Enjoy your blessings, and you can look at it for yourself in the Bible. 1 Timothy 6.17 says, God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Enjoy what the provider gave you. Because Paul says to Timothy, that's why he gave it to you. That's why we're always mad. We don't enjoy anything. We're always trying to fix everything. But how many things can we fix without God? I love the song. It's about waiting on the Lord before I came up, right? You know we have to wait on the Lord? Because we can't fix it on our own. So what are we going to do while we wait? Be depressed and fight each other? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Stare at the wall all day and be mad? No, there's a a lot of blessings God's given us, amen? And when you look around, church, it's a beautiful thing to have them. Matthew 15, 36, Jesus has 4,000 people around him. seven loaves of bread, and just a few fish, y'all. There's not enough food to feed everybody. It's a problem. And all they have is some little seven loaves and a few fish, and when Jesus gets that little thing, that little thing that life's given him. Life's only given him a little. You know what he does with the little life's given him? He took the seven loaves and the fish. What's the second thing he did? And when he had given thanks, he thanked God for the little he had before he tried to fix the problem. He was thankful first. Then he broke them and gave them to the disciples and they in turn to the people. Let's go to the next verse for me, Ronan. John 6, 11. Jesus now, he has 5,000 people, and this time he has even a fewer amount of loaves, five, and he has less fish, two pieces of fish. You guys with me? He ain't got enough again, and all, you mean all life can give me is five loaves of bread and two fish, and I'm trying to save the world? from sin, God, and all you give me is five loaves and two fish. I'm trying to raise my kids, and all you give me, God, is a part-time job because no one else will give me a full-time job. I'm trying to raise my kids, God, and all you give me is this horrible health that keeps me in the hospital all the time. I'm trying to do ministry in the church, and all you give me is, is, is these problems. I'm trying to do God's will, and all I have is this. You ever felt like that? All you got is a little, and you're trying to do the right thing, but you ain't got nothing barely to work with but a little bit. Jesus has a little bit. Well, Jesus took the little he had, what does it say? Jesus then took the loaves. What did he do, church? Gave thanks first. Before he tried to deal with the problem, he gave thanks first. He thanked God for the little, are y'all seeing this? He thanked God for the little he had first, and then he distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. Before we distribute stuff, do we thank God for the stuff? Here, 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 let me, let me write, I wrote it down so I can say it better. Jesus thanked God for the little he had first, and then God made it multiply. We want God to fix our problems before we ever give thanks to God for what we already have. Give God thanks before you ask God to fix your problems. Give God thanks before you try to fix your problems on your own. You don't have money, give God thanks for your health. You don't have health, give God thanks for your spouse. You don't have a spouse, give God thanks for your kids. You don't have a kid and you're single, give God thanks for your job. You don't have a job, give God thanks for your family. You don't have a family, give God thanks for your friends. You don't have a friend, give God thanks for your house. Find something that he's given you, that little bit, and give him thanks first. And I wonder if he'll make it multiply. Thank God that he already gave us the victory through Jesus Christ, amen? How about that? Even if you don't have a house, Jesus is the Alpha and Omega. You know what that means? He's the beginning and the end. I believe he's both of those at the same time, by the way. So he already sees the victory that I have. So whatever the world going to put me through this week, whatever people are going to say about me, whatever health problems I'm going to have, whatever financial problems I'm going to have, Jesus already gave me the victory. And nobody can take that from me. So I'm going to thank God for that and see how that changes my mind as I go through that. Amen? That, that's, this is how we don't go crazy when we're on the boat with Jesus and the storms all around us, okay? Uh, this is how we fight that spiritual warfare. In the American church today, oftentimes the focus is on how the church doesn't have a lot of people in it. Anybody heard that recently? <laughs> Has the American church thanked God for the members they do have, though? Before we try to fix the attendance problem, can we thank God for those who are already in attendance first? And if we thank God for the little we have, will God multiply it like he did the loaves and the fish for Jesus? If we can learn to just thank God first like Jesus did, will we get the outcome that Jesus did? Look around today. Satan wants you to see who's not here. Look around. That's okay. Look around. You don't have to look at me. There's a lot of better-looking people than me in here, okay? Check them out, okay, In in a spiritual, Christian, beautiful way, okay? Look around. Satan wants you to look at who's not here But have you been thankful for who is here? And have you told them that you're thankful that they're here? Because guess what? That's our job today. Not just to consume, but to contribute. Amen? Amen. And one thing that everybody can do to contribute is say, I am so thankful to see you here today. Regardless of everything you've been through, you're here, and that already means you're a victor. Have we done it? And if we could thank God for what we have first before trying to fix the attendance problem, would God start multiplying the church? Because I've been preaching this, and I know y'all are tired of me saying it, but I'm going to say it again. 1 Corinthians 3, 6 says, I planted the seed Apollos Paul's the seed, but who has been making it grow? Oh God. God, amen. He's the one who's going to make it grow. Can we be thankful for what he's already given us, which is the seed which we already preached about, which is the word of God? Can we be thankful for it? I look around here, man, I, I see the body of Christ, man. Can I be thankful for that? Can I be thankful that I'm—can can I be— th- you know, we, we have a lot of new people here that uh, this time last year were not here. If you just look around, look, at, look around and, and, and meet one of them today, amen? Amen? amen. This is what Satan—Satan Satan does not want you to see this. Satan wants you to see what you don't have. But Jesus was thankful for the little he had before he tried to deal with what they did not have. Have you thanked God for the good things in your marriage before you, before you try to fix the problems in your marriage? Have you thanked God for the good things in your spouse before you try to fix the problems with your spouse? Have you thanked God for the good things in your family before you try to fix the problems in your family? Have you thanked God for the good things in your life before you try to fix the problems in your life? Have you thanked God for the good things in your country before you try to fix the problems in your country? Oh, yeah, and have you thanked God for the good things in your church before you try to fix the problems in your church? Have you? We have to learn how to rejoice Always pray continually and give thanks in all circumstances before we try to fix our problems. Now, I'm a fixer. A lot of preachers are fixers. We get our job because we want to fix. We walk into a room and we see what's wrong and we get up. It's just our mentality. I'm looking at other, other people in this room. That fixers. We're fixers. And because, because of us, a lot of things don't stay broken. Amen. We get a bad rap, right? But, but because of us, a lot of things aren't broken. But the thing about fixers is, it's really easy to walk into a room and see what needs to be fixed, but not walk into the room and see what's going great, you know? We put all, all of our attention on how to improve things, which we need that. I'm not discrediting that. But we also need to be thankful for what's going well. Because a lot of times, fixers can always be focused on fixing so much, their minds can become very negative without realizing it. Not because they're negative people, But because there's so much there's so much to fix, you know, what I mean, you got to be careful to to take time to rejoice always and give thanks in all circumstances. Amen. Even if you're a fixer. I was telling my wife the other day how good she she makes French toast. She makes the best French toast on the planet Earth. Her French toast game is sick. Ridiculous. Nobody's touching my wife's French toast. I, I guarantee, if we had a French toast contest and you couldn't put the person's name on the French toast, you had to eat the French toast. Everybody in this church would say my wife's French toast is the best. I bet you that I can't bet. I guarantee you that. So I was telling her that, and you know the next day what happened? I had all French. She made me French toast. <laughs> my wife makes the best baked chicken on the planet Earth. <laughs> true story you know why I never share my wife's baked chicken with you because I'm too selfish and greedy, it's too good I gotta work on that and I said that to her I just pro- a true, you come to my house right now you know what I had last night for dinner baked chicken, you know what I ate for breakfast this morning baked chicken, is so good you know what my wife told me this morning be careful, this is a true story you ask her she's gone see, I didn't know, okay you know what, ask her, she said to me be careful what you say to me I was like, oh, man, what did I say? Did I say something wrong? But then I thought about it. Come on, stop being a fixer. Right, Luke? She's telling me, when you tell me the things I do well, you're going to get more of it when you're more thankful for it. Right, women? Amen? You think God's like that? You think if we start thanking God for all the awesome things he's put in our life. You ever think that it would multiply? Jesus just said, I'm going to thank you for the loaves and the fish. I'm gonna thank you for the loaves and the fish, and who made it multiply, God. I bet if we just start thanking God for the people in this room, man, there's so much to be thankful for. I came in here uh, last night. God, I, I was praying to God about what to say at the basketball tournament. By the way, let's give Tristan and Alvin a hand for eight years of doing the basketball program. Let's just start being thankful right now. Uh, let's start emulating it. Uh, Ramona, thank you for, for uh, I'm gonna tell you something. Um, I'm gonna tell you something. It's a true story. I had this idea, I was praying to God, what should I say to the people about God in the community? I said, I'm going to ask all these people to write down a prayer request, and I'm going to try to pray for them. Now, people may look at me like I'm crazy. And now, the thought came to me just right before it's time, right? I walk into the building, I bump into Ramona, and she says, I'll help you. And then Sarah Mezzacappa comes out of nowhere, and she, she grabs it, and she says, I'll help you. Then they say, go over there and preach the gospel. You come back, we'll have a whole table set up for people to write down prayer requests and put them in a, in, in a basket for you so you can pray. And I trusted them with it. I came here and preached. I came back out, and it was there, and I had a bucket full, true story, of prayer requests from the community, which proves that the community believes there's a God that should be prayed to. Amen. It is awesome. And see, I got to do a better job of telling you these stories. Because I, I'm thankful that I can walk into a building and have that type of support. I'm thankful that the community, something's going right, the community's saying, hey, y'all, pray East Grand, pray for, pray for me. I believe there's a God. And I said, if God answers your prayer, I just want you to come back to East Grand and talk, tell us about it. So I want you to pray that that happens in the people's life. Collins, raise your hand. I know I'm gonna embarrass you for a second, but it's not gonna be bad, what I'm gonna say. Collins, he's a very shy, good guy. My man Collins, You know how he came forward and he's asking for prayers about uh, college tuition and everything. In the midst of everything he's going through, a lot of college kids would give up on God. They would have went out to the club last night. They would turn to drinking. They would turn to partying. Where is he at this morning? Here worshiping God, and he brought somebody else with him. Do you see that? In the midst of the storm, he's still being a Christian. My wife, Collins, myself, and baby Kaza went to work on some stuff. And where he needed to have everything turned in by, by March 4th, they gave him an extension to the middle of August. And we're going to thank God for that little extension. We're going to see if he gives us even more time, amen? But regardless of what happens, this brother is here in church worshiping God, inviting other people to church. And that's a testimony to me. And, Collins, I know this is going to not be but I want you to come on Wednesday night and start sharing your story. Because this is an amazing story of, a, of faith if you, if, if, you, if you don't know Collins. And we got that in our room, guys. Isn't that amazing? A college student is showing that type of faith. No matter what happens, he's staying on the boat with Jesus. Amen. He didn't get off the boat. That's the that's the real test. Amen. And I don't know what struggle you're going through. I don't know what you're in the middle of in life. But I promise you, if you will stay on the boat with Jesus. Jesus will take care of you. Amen. One more twenty four is such a cool ministry such a cool ministry. I was talking to them, uh, Becca and Becky, and they were just like, yeah, we just don't want to be a hindrance to East Grand. I'm like, what? Y'all not a hindrance to East Grand. Y'all making East Grand better. The singing is better when you're here. The open testimonies are better when you're here. But you know what? They need to hear that from us. Jesus thanked God for what he had, and it multiplied. God's bringing people in. You got to look at the good, you know? We got to talk about that, amen? So this week, Send a text, send an email, let them know, man, we need you here. The singing, the testimonies, the heart, the integration, amen? Amen. That's how we win these, that's God's way. Rejoicing in it, amen? It's not about the boat you're on, it's who's on the boat with you. Here's the close. David faced hardships in life, but he stayed on the boat with Jesus. Did Jesus get David through those hardships in life? Sherech, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into a fiery furnace but they stayed on a boat with the Lord and the Lord was with them. Did the Lord get them through the fiery furnace? Hannah could not have kids. She had to share a husband with another man. The husband had kids with the other wife and the other wife was making fun of Hannah and what's Hannah doing? Not arguing with the other wife. She's in the church praying praying. Did God get her through that situation? Amen. I can keep going. This Bible is full of people who went through hardships, but because they stayed on the boat with Jesus, they overcame their hardships and entered the kingdom of God. And we can do the same thing too. We just got to stay on the boat with Jesus. Because when you're on the boat with Jesus, Jesus is going through the hardship with you. He's going to give you all type of stuff you can never give yourself. He's going to give you the patience you need. He's going to give you the joy you need he's going to give you the courage you need he's going to give you the relationships you need he's going to give you the wisdom you need and most importantly he's going to give you the salvation you need we just got to stay on the boat with him right. if you have not gotten on that boat with him the good news is you can come right now give your life to Jesus be baptized repent and start the journey that ends in the kingdom of heaven Because he died to create that journey. And the destination, oh yeah, it's worth it. I can't wait to be in heaven with all y'all. Looking back saying, it was so worth it. I'm so glad the hardship didn't stop me. I'm so glad the trial didn't stop me. I'm so glad the fear didn't stop me. I'm so glad my background with my parents or my background with with my job didn't stop me. I'm so glad that issue that happened in in my marriage or my finances didn't stop me. I'm so glad the health problem I went through didn't stop me. I'm so glad the sexism or the racism or or, or whatever happened didn't stop me from staying on the boat with Jesus. Because you stay on the boat with Jesus, you overcome everything. You overcome sin, Satan, and the world. And that's my message today. That's the message of the gospel. Wherever you're at today, stay on the boat with Jesus because your journey will end in the kingdom of heaven. And I can't wait to see you there. We can help you get there in any way. Please come now as we stand and sing.